Welcome to our Voices of Africa podcast, brought to you by Africa Practice, a strategic advisory firm supplying insights and advocacy solutions to corporations, investors, governments, and foundations in Africa. In a world with complex and interdependent challenges, we take the guesswork out of business engagement. We enable our clients to see more clearly in order to drive sustainable and equitable development. Hello and welcome to Voices of Africa. Today I'm particularly excited. We've got a special edition for you. Today I'm joined by Laura Jane Cornish, who's the content manager at Investing in Africa Mining in Daba. Laura is someone I've known for a very long time. She's a very established journalist on mining sector developments throughout Africa, and she's now leading content for the main principal African mining event, the Investing in African Mining in Daba. So, Laura, thanks so much for joining us. Real pleasure to be here, Marcus. Thanks so much. So, for the benefit of our audience, our ambition is to feature leading voices from the mining sector in Africa each month for the remainder of 2023. And today, we have Dr. Marit Kital, who is the Interim Director of the African Mineral Development Centre. She's been in this role for just over a year now. She spoke at the Mining in Daba last year, in February 2023. She joined AMDC from the United Nations. She was at the Economic Centre for Africa, UNECA, where she worked as an Economic Affairs Officer. Prior to that, she was working for the UNDP in Mozambique as a technical advisor on extractive industries, supporting the government there to align their policies with the African mining vision. Dr. Marit, I'm so thrilled that you could join us today. And I'm going to invite you in a moment just to tell us a little bit more about you. But before I do, I thought for the benefit of our audience, I would just give a very brief synopsis of the African mining vision, because I think it's central to understanding the work that you do at the AMDC. So the African mining vision was adopted by heads of state in 2009. It's a continental framework to promote resource-based development and structural transformation on the continent. And in 2013, African Mineral Development Centre was set up, the centre that you, Dr. Kital, now lead. You're working very closely with member states and their national and regional organizations to help enable mineral resources to play a much greater transformational role in the development of the continent. And this conversation that we're about to have comes against the context of quite heated geopolitical developments that we're seeing play out globally and against the backdrop, of course, of the the pressure that all nations are under to address climate change. That's placed a premium on minerals and metals, a premium in particular on countries who import these metals and who require these for the clean energy transition. We have so many African nations wealthy with these mineral resources, and these nations are under pressure to make those resources available for export to support the energy transition. But at the same time, we're seeing these nations be much more intentional, much more deliberate in trying to work through policies and practices that can enable them to participate much more meaningfully in mineral value chains, in industrial value chains. So we're seeing a resistance, if you will, from African nations from making more materials available in short turnaround times for quick profits and instead a focus on medium and long-term strategies to develop integrated value chains, value chains with backwards, forwards, sideways linkages to other industries. There's almost universal recognition within the continent of Africa that too much of what 
we produce on the continent is exported with too little value addition. Those jobs are exported in the process. Dr. Kital, you are playing a very important role at the apex of policymaking in helping to support African governments to, to transform their societies from exporters of raw materials with little or no value added into competitive manufacturing bases. So I'm thrilled that we've got you today to be able to tell us about this important work you're doing and to hear from you about what African nations are doing to develop integrated value chains and in the process, as I say, to onshore more of the jobs that are created from value addition. So welcome, Dr. Kital. Thank you very much, Marcus and Laura, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on this platform. Really look forward to the conversation. Great. So we traditionally start by inviting our guests to tell us where they grew up, the career choices that they've taken and that have led them to assume the role that they're currently occupying. So can I invite you to do that in a couple of minutes for us, please? Yes, thank you very much. So I grew up in Ethiopia. I was born in Ethiopia and I studied in France. I was supposed to study science, but there was a coup d'etat in my country at that time. So I decided that, you know, I would better be off studying economics than uh, science so that I can do something in my country. I was 18 years old, so I don't know if I was thinking correctly. But anyway, I studied economics in France and I went up to the PhD level as the government was giving me a scholarship. And then from there, I mean, my career started with a nonprofit organization in the United States uh, where I was working on conflict-related issues on the economic side. But clearly, it related somehow to conflict minerals. And again, my career in minerals started with the conflict side of minerals, the governance side, how these war economies were led by this conflict. And then switched again to come to Africa. I, I started with African Development Bank and then went to Comesa and then went to ECA, working on these uh, peripheral issues on conflict minerals. In 2007, I was privileged to be in this big table, round table, organized by ECA and African Development Bank. It's the precursor of the AMV, so to speak. And I was really gone into that perspective of why weren't minerals developing African nations throughout this time. So I was part of that uh, big table. That was the precursor of the Africa Mining Vision. And then afterwards, I was one of the founding members of the Africa Mineral Development Center when it was first a project at the Economic Commission for Africa, ECA, in 2013. So from then on, from junior positions, I went up, up, and then here I am at the helm of the Africa Mineral Development Center. Right now, it's, at the, uh, it's a specialized agency of the African Union. It has had its history, but I'm happy that I'm part of the history of the institutional memory on how to make sure that the minerals lead to sustainable development and growth. Thank you, Marit. We know the journey that you've taken to occupy the role that you now do. You're director and lead at the AMDC. So the work of the AMDC, as I briefly outlined in the introduction, is to support African Union member states with their policies and, and practices to enable mineral resources to play a much greater role in the transformation of the continent through increased economic and, and social linkages specifically. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing to support African member states and perhaps also shed some light on some of the greatest progress that you're supporting, contributing to or that you're observing in terms of nation states that are, are progressing with plans to participate more strongly in global mineral value chains. 
Thank you very much. As I mentioned, our work at AMGC started in 2013. It was a project at UNECA, but officially this role, it's been a year, as you mentioned. Since 2022, we relaunched the Africa Mineral Development Center, the phase two. We have three ways of working with government. We do policy analysis, policy uh, implementation, especially we have this uh, country mining vision that we try to domesticate the principles of the Africa mining vision within the uh, the countries, the regulatory framework. That's one aspect of it. So this part, if you look at the whole value chain, that's the first part, the policy, regulatory frameworks, uh, including taxation, revenue management, etc., the governance side of things. And then uh, we also provide technical assistance in uh, we have geologists in our midst. We have the geological, we have a senior geology and the mineral information systems advisor. So his role is to make sure that, you know, we get the right data. We are trying to get a template for database or we have, you know, it's very difficult to understand what we have in our soil, which is a very big bargaining power for us to know exactly what is in our soil. Usually people rely on the U.S. geological surveys, but we're trying to put together a consortium of the African geological surveys. We have put together a template database so that it's harmonized, used correctly, because that's an important role. We intend to have an African, especially on the strategic minerals, green mineral observatory to understand where they are, how much we have, what is our endowment. Very important aspect of of issues. The other aspects that we look into, and of course, is the value addition side, the linkages aspect. Because as you mentioned, Marcus, at the beginning, we realized that African countries have not really benefited, especially the people from these minerals, because there's not enough value addition, there's no value created on the continent, because mostly materials are exported raw to the Western countries. And then when they come back, we don't tackle the big market. We just do the raw material market. And even when they come back as taxation, as revenue, etc., there's always leakages in terms of illicit financial flows, even licit ones like transfer pricing. We don't get the value. Even with the taxation, there's a lot of contestation around, you know, what is the right royalty or but Africa is not getting the right price. So we are really banking on this value addition aspect and in their policy, even we make sure that we have, they have policies related to industrial policies related to local content, uh, making sure that there's value creation in the country. But of course, we look at also the environmental and social aspects, very important, uh, empowering people, especially women. We have a whole component on artisanal small-scale mining. Again, on the artisanal small-scale mining, we look into value addition of gemstones, gold, and other jewelry, the whole jewelry value chain. But emphasis again and again and again on making sure that we add value locally, benefit locally, beneficiation value addition locally so that we, have, we accrue. And of course, capacity building is a huge component throughout the whole value chain. Knowledge, capacity, skills, technology are the most important ones. So these are the kind of issues that we advise, how we go about it, because we are not many. We have to leverage on our partnership. We have very strong partnership with existing, such as the African Development Bank, uh, UNDP Africa, Afrexim Bank, uh, UNECA, of course, and all other actors that are working directly on minerals, leveraging to make sure that we don't duplicate, but we coordinate, harmonize. And so we do a joint and we go also regional so that we don't go in each country. We learned the lesson from the first phase that going directly to country sometimes doesn't have the, uh, the impact that is required. So we go regional. We have a very strong relationship with the regional economic communities, such as SADC, ECOWAS, ESC, and of course, ECOWAS as well. So that's how we work. Thank you, Marie. That's very helpful to understand. I'm going to 
turn over to invite Laura to ask a question in just a moment. But just before I do, really to frame, I think, the focus for the conversation that I'm hoping we're, we're going to have, the three of us. You've inferred in what you've said there pretty strongly that African nations are very much focused on transitioning the conversation with investors from a pure focus on capital supply to beneficiation, local value addition, and to industrialization. Clearly, it's important to, to strike the right balance so as to remain competitive to investors. And striking that right balance is something that you are heavily involved in, in the advice that you give to member states. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to focus on exactly how that balance sits in the various countries that you're working with in Africa. But over to you, Laura. Thanks so much, Marcus and Dr. Kittal. And, and the work that you're doing is just absolutely phenomenal and so admirable and is something I know our audience wants to hear more of. It, it was heavily addressed at Mining and Darbers Ministerial Symposium. And I'm just so excited that we're exploring this. Dr. Kittal, what I want to chat about is something that's particularly close to my heart and something I believe is, is really phenomenal in terms of what Africa is doing to enhance value addition locally. And I'm referring, of course, to an initiative that we've seen undertaken by Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo. And they've clearly indicated their ambition to build on their existing copper production, also their smelting and the refining capacity to develop a new battery manufacturing industry in country. And the US government has also moved to support this initiative. And I believe, Dr. Katal, that you were actually present at the signing ceremony of the pre-feasibility study relating to special economic zones in the DRC and Zambia for producing battery precursors for electric vehicles this year. This is absolutely a super exciting developments for Africa, something I'm, I can't wait to see progress. But how do you see this initiative evolving, Dr. Patel, and, and over what time period? Thank you very much for this. This is one of our very big flagship projects that we are very proud of. And as you mentioned, I was part of the uh, signing ceremony. When I was at UNECA, the project started there, actually, when I was there. I'm very proud of that, uh, how it evolved. It started with the commissioning of a report to Bloomberg it was really commissioned by Africans, uh, UNECA, Africa Bank, African Development Bank, Badea as well, and Africa Legal Support Facility. We sat down together. We were not sure, actually, that we would have the cost benefit, to be honest. At the time, we were just thinking maybe there could be an advantage of emissions, but we were not sure about the cost advantage. But we wanted to make the case that, you know, localizing made sense in Africa from the emissions perspective. But the Bloomberg study really came out with a very compelling finding that it has, having the precursor, we'll go to that, the precursor is Kelmanganese Cobalt, having it in the DRC had, compared to Poland, compared to US, and compared to China, it had cost and emissions. Of course, the emissions part, because they had to go all the way to China, was, was pretty obvious. But it also had cost effectiveness to have a plant in the DRC. So that was the most compelling finding where we brought it to the uh, DRC Africa Business Forum in November 2021. That's where Zambia came also into the, the picture. The Excellency President Hichilema was as excited as President Chitekedi about the finding. And then that's where the, uh, this whole project started for having a precursor plant in the DRC. So the next step was to have this uh, special economic zone set up. And that's where the, where the pre-feasibility study was uh, signed in the uh, end of March 2023. Pre-feasibility study is supposed to take uh, around six months. So by September, we are expecting to have the results. 
And uh, also another very uh, positive outcome is the one that won the bid is called Arise. It's a great industrial platform, Arise. It's a Pan-African infrastructure developer that, that won the bid of this pre-feasibility study. And they're doing that. And in the meantime, there's also a center of excellence on advanced batteries that was set up in Mumbashi. Because we also want to emphasize that we need the skills. That's very important. So because of that, there's this uh, center of excellence that is being set up so that, you know, we really get the, the skills as well in the, on the continent. And uh, while we think that this study will be finished by September, there's another business forum, GRC Africa Business Forum, that is scheduled to happen in November this year. Uh, around uh, the same uh, topic, developing the battery and electric vehicle transboundary special economic zone. And then we are hoping that to get all the other, the owners of the technology and all that to come together. And we hope that by 2024, something will, uh, will, will occur. What has become a flagship for DRC and for Zambia. We have to think about it regionally as well. We start with DRC Zambia, but taking into account the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, we want to pull in other countries as well that have the critical, we call them strategic in our side of, of the world because they are strategic for us in terms of, as you mentioned, the geopolitical and all of these areas, but they're not really critical in the sense that we have them in our grounds. There's no supply uh, constraint from our side. That said, we want to pull in, for instance, Mozambique has graphite, Zimbabwe has lithium, just to pull in the, the, in the region, South Africa has manganese, but we can find also South manganese in uh, Gabon, for instance. But the point is, we really have to make sure that it, it has a regional component. And then we, we don't have to end at the precursor. We have to go to the, the whole battery uh, assembly. The Bloomberg study stopped at the precursor because they were implying that, you know, to go even further, uh, there was no cost advantage because uh, China is cheaper. You know, they wanted to, to be realistic. But now that we have all this uh, knowledge, I think we can even go beyond. And um, of course, we have to create the market as well, the market for these uh, batteries. If it's just batteries producing and then having to transport them to Europe or, or Asia, it wouldn't make sense. So we have to create the demand also in Africa and link it with the automotive sector. Maybe it's a bit long-term view, but we have the low-hanging fruit for that is the two and three-wheelers. Those of us in Africa, we know that there's a lot of two-wheelers, three-wheelers with smaller batteries that can be leveraged. But the biggest point is that if we stick to the, if we go, instead of just having 11 billion, the first raw material market is just 11 billion. And even that is lost, as I said, through all, all these means. We can move to the precursor is 271 billion. If you go all the way to the battery and then the whole market is up to 7 trillion. So we're talking about big markets, transformational. And of course, we think about the spillover effects of job creation, technology transfer, skills transfer, real transformation out of out of minerals. So we are very excited about that and we hope it will happen sooner than, than later. Uh, it's very exciting to hear you both talk about this fantastic initiative and this collaboration between the DRC and Zambia for precursor batteries. Just in listening to you there, Dr. Kitao, I'm one can't help but reflect on the broad ecosystem and the many sort of coordinated contributions and changes to ways of operating that need to be uh, taken into consideration when trying to build 
but a very complex industrial value chains. It's great to see it happening on a bilateral cooperation level in the way that we've just reflected. But you alluded to the importance of having a genuinely regional industrialization plan. I think that that's what you were at least inferring. To what degree do you feel that as a continent and then as regional economic communities, we genuinely do have a vision for industrialization of the continent. I'm starting to hear it in this example that you've given from the DRC and and Zambia. But to my mind, it's absence. And I would question whether we even have the architecture and the political will amongst our national leaders to seize the opportunity to what is, as you say, huge transformational value at stake. I'd love to get your views on that as someone who operates on a continental basis and at the apex of policymaking. Yes, thank you very much for this very important question that we also are trying to grapple with or address, let's say, at AMDC. As you know, I mean, value addition historically, Africans are not really strangers to value addition. I mean, they've been doing value addition for thousands of years throughout small scale mining. They used to have wood transformed to charcoal and even those bending bones that they do metal work and all that. That artisanal small scale mining, now it's called informal, but they used to do value addition until, of course, history hit and then, you know, started with the, with the slave trade and then the colonization. The West took the role of the value adder. I don't know if I can call it that. But uh, African countries were relegated to just, you know, sending raw materials. The whole architecture was built around that, meaning that you had maybe infrastructure from the pit to the port. So history also has a way of having this narrative. You know, there was nothing left for African countries to export. And value addition is a lengthy and complex process that requires planning, construction of facilities, as I've mentioned with the DRC and Zambia. And, you know, you have to have refineries, smelters. It requires huge capital expenditure, long-term investment. And this whole thing has to be planned. And as I mentioned, we are fragmented. We are small countries. It means also regionalization. So it requires a lot of planning. The most advanced, we think, and, and, and to re- reverse that, uh, that already historically very you know, operating as an enclave, of course, is the aim of the AMV as well, is not, it doesn't happen overnight. And we agree that it has to be done progressively. The one that is ad- more advanced in our view is SADC. They have the, the, the Southern African Development Community you refer to it, Marcus, they have this industrialization strategy. They even went and domesticated the uh, African mining vision at the region level, regional mining vision. And it has all the elements that we, we talked about industrialization, how to do it from where. On paper, at least it's there. Which countries have done really well? Their really cooperation is like, uh, is there a vision to do that? That's another question. Of course, we have individual countries like Botswana, who's a model of beneficiation, uh, polishing of their diamonds. Namibia as well. They have uh, locally purchased manufactured products. Of course, South Africa being uh, the big one, in uh, they do have beneficiation of Maybe not the, uh, they have titanium. Even Mozambique, to some extent, they used to have aluminum smelter plants. Zimbabwe used to be the bastion for value addition. But of course, you know the story. They had iron and steel, coal, even pyrochrome, etc. It was really a value addition hub until they went through deindustrialization as a context. But the point is that, you know, there was no major value adding, a major transformational that the aspiration, the transformation 
aspiration that we are talking about. So that's a very good question about, is there a regional vision? When you talk to individual countries, it's obvious, and, and we do talk to individual countries, but are we seeing it enough? Because we have to be honest and say that then when the investors come, they go one country by country, they don't do regional. And so each country has to negotiate contracts, each country has to see what's in it for them. And sometimes we get surprised that we see <laughs> some deals being signed and we're like, okay, but we talked to these countries and, you know, we had the understanding, but then I don't know, something ha- comes up and then they just sign deals, which is something that we are grappling with. On, and right now it's really becoming a geopolitical tension between China and the U.S. We see it play out, of course, in Zambia, but we see it also play out in other parts of the world. I was recently in Korea, the Korea Business Summit. They had invited us and they really were focusing, again, geopolitics, focusing on these minerals. And they were trying to navigate between China and the U.S. And they were asking us to say, could you uh, let us go to the U.S. now because China is blocking this? And I mean, this is real. And at the end of the day, are we really, as Africans, getting the best out of it? We are, for us, where we stand, we have to be focused. It doesn't even matter who is coming to get what, but what is it that we are getting? We will also have to think about not only just the value addition of the jobs, but also the environmental safeguards. The European Union is telling us, oh, China's are activists. We are more on the ESG standard side, so you should work with us. I mean, this is where we are sitting right now, the African Union. We see it play out on a daily basis, almost, this geopolitical. The message we're trying to get to the African countries is that we have to really be strategic, have an African vision, be strategic on this, because we have to be neutral first. We don't have to be aligned with anybody, that we don't have to be a pawn to their geopolitical contestation, but we have to make sure that we get the best out of this. And that's where we are heading to. We are already doing an African Green Mineral Strategy. I don't know if I mentioned that. It's led by the African Development Bank, especially this year. It's about the positioning of African on our position, about value addition, what we need, what we aim for, be focused and have one stand as Africans, not be fragmented. And another point also that I want to make here is that because this would not happen if we had our own African investors. Uh, value would have accrued in our own continent if we didn't have to deal with all these other investment investors coming to Africa. So that's another aspect that we're also we're trying to empower local investors through financing is, of course, because it's very capital intensive, financing is the biggest issue. So how to make sure that I have capital empower the African investors to at least leverage the capital. Very interesting last point you made. Just before I hand over to Laura, you mentioned the contribution and role of Arise IIP in helping to establish the special economic zone for the uh, the DRC and Zambia battery value chain collaboration. I know that their principal shareholder is the African Finance Corporation, and um, so representing a majority of African capital there. But perhaps that's part of the secret of, of some of their success. They've really achieved remarkable transformational success in, in Gabon and Benin, where they've set up and special economic zones. So that gives us confidence that model could be applied there too. Laura? Yes, that's exactly it. Yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out with African Capital, AFC. Yes. Thanks, Marcus. Dr. Kital, the, the conversation is getting, it's getting real, right? We, we're talking about what really needs to happen. And I think there are small stepping stones we need to take in order to get there. But at least we know those those steps have been taken, at least in some countries, and it, it's the start of a greater journey and greater realization of what Africa really needs to to position itself in a 
in a more global way. Dr. Kitel, earlier on in our conversation, you mentioned Mozambique, and, and I want to touch on Mozambique in particular because all our conversations at the moment sort of center around green metals, transition minerals, uh, however you want to phrase it. And, and Mozambique is one of those countries that is sitting on a wealth of graphite. Now, I think we are a bit dominated at the moment by lithium and, and cobalt when we talk about green metals, but graphite is, is equally important in the story. It constitutes the core of a battery anode. And despite this, despite Mozambique's abundance of graphite, it is all processed overseas. And I'm drawn to thinking particularly about Sura Resources and their Balama graphite mine in Mozambique. And it's a great mine. It's, it's a big mine, but they are shipping all their graphite to the US for processing. So if we look specifically at Mozambique, I'd be interested to explore with you, Dr. Kitel, what do you make of Mozambique's approach to beneficiation? In my mind, it's clearly lacking. And from your perspective, what can government do to harness its natural resource dividend in a greater way? Yes, thank you very much. Mozambique has a special place in my heart because I was, uh, as mentioned in the beginning, I was technical advisor for extractive in Mozambique. And at the time, we had put together the country mining vision for Mozambique. They call it implementation plan. They didn't want to call it vision for some reason. But we had really succeeded in making sure that all the ministries, especially industry, uh, with mining, the environment, the gender, all of them came together and we had an implementation plan, very, very elaborate. And the good thing was at the time, the minister, he came from industry. So it was a really good way of putting things together. We had the implementation plan. We even have local content policy, which was adopted, approved and later on after I left. So we had really made strides, especially in the aspects of value addition and in the aspects of making sure there is a resource-based industrialization and transformation gradually. At the time, of course, when I left, it was 2017, and nobody was talking about graphite. It was mostly about other minerals, especially gas and that we were working on. So as I follow right now, and as you mentioned as well, Laura, I am seeing that graphite, which they are the second largest producer of graphite after China, but it's really being tipped out raw, not only to the U.S. actually, there's also Australia doing that. So actually, I don't have much contact with the government right now, but I know that they have those policies that it was approved, it was there about, you know, industrialization, making sure that there's been a value addition and all that. But this is the kind of issues that I had mentioned earlier. If they had, for instance, agreed with the DRC to have it processed in that precursor there or the battery or having a regional, because let's be honest, not everybody can do plants. But if we go regional, that's where the conversation will have to be. So we are also watching this space in a way that we are a bit concerned about you know what's happening. And we want to engage the Mozambican government and in general, the whole SADC region, because we have the African Fetrich continental area that's coming, the agreement, uh, we want to be coordinated. And this is, after this strategy will be finalized, we have some product to compel them to say, of course, it's not mandatory, but at least to engage and to make sure that after the validation, especially by African government, then to come and say, really, this is how it should be. Because as you mentioned, I also saw that US, but also a lot of others that are doing the same you know, we need a coherent strategy. And that's our role as AMDC. We see it as our role. And we are just waiting for this formal 
a strategy to engage regionally, to engage also at the country level, again, to re-engage. Because these strategic minerals right now have become the most number one geopolitical contestation in the world. And we have to position ourselves right now. Otherwise, there's even a risk of being stranded. What if another technology happens and then we don't need those graphites or those lithiums anymore? And it can happen. You know, there's a rush to get alternative because of uh, restrictions for cobalt and, and all others. We know that there's a rush. So we have to really make sure that it's now, that we are trying to go at a speed sometimes because we are dealing with 55 countries. Let's face it. China is one country. We are dealing with 55 and then sometimes it can be a little bit daunting, but we are, we are there. We're going to be there. So Mozambique will make sure that that happens as well. I'm glad you're positive. I think that's half the battle one is knowing that we're going to come right, we're going to achieve success in these areas. And I think because we're talking about these critical minerals, and, and particularly as you, as you mentioned at the end, Dr. Fisal, the, the rush that needs to happen, the country that comes to mind for me that has rushed is Zimbabwe. And, you know, we know that... Zimbabwe has vast amounts of lithium in particular come to mind. And a lot of lithium is being mined or being developed in the country. And they've also got platinum. They've also got nickel. And government has done a lot in terms of policies to to spur local processing around these minerals. And this means really that Zimbabwe has the potential to be such a, a crucial, critical player in this energy transition story that we're talking about at the moment. And so we've got this great opportunity again in Zimbabwe, right next door to Mozambique, different minerals, but still, you know, the same messaging behind what we're trying to achieve here. But beneficiation is is failing in Zimbabwe. They're not getting there. And perhaps, you know, it's the absence or, or lack of reliable power. And, and, you know, this is a whole topic probably almost on its own, really, how this issue of power, perhaps infrastructure on a greater scale, is impacting how quickly we're moving in this direction. But Let's explore, Dr. Um, Dr. Kital, from your perspective, Zimbabwean, and do you envisage a more pragmatic stance from the Zimbabwean government going forward? And, you know, maybe this will happen after their elections in August. Yes, thank you very much for bringing Zimbabwe up. As I mentioned before, Zimbabwe used to be the bastion for value addition. And actually, as far back as 2021, they had imposed a ban on exports of raw chrome, for instance. They really like want to emphasize on local value addition. Of course, it's dominated by China, as you know, because of sanctions. But there, the push for the ban on exports of raw material is real. I mean, they have done it for lithium, for all other minerals. But as you mentioned, of course, their biggest challenge is energy. I mean, Zimbabwe best illustrates the tension between value addition and energy demands in Africa in general. I mean, let's face it. You need a lot of energy for this value addition, for this manufacturing, for these factories, etc. So Zimbabwe in particular is facing load shedding. There's breakdown to dwindling water levels, rapid electrification, increased demand without concomitant generating capacity expansion, etc., etc. I mean, they really, really need to step up on this energy issue. I saw recently that they're even envisaging trying to get the coal, the startup coal again to ensure that, you know, there's uh, enough supply uh, coal by China. The biggest challenge is energy. For the DRC Zambia side, uh, the, the Bloomberg report was emphasizing on the Inga Dam as a source of energy. We'll see what Arise will come up with as part of their, the previsibility study to come up with the, the sources of energy. It could be solar as well. Uh, nowadays, we have very efficient uh, solar power panel 
uh, that would require enough energy, but uh, we have to find a solution. For instance, um, Zimbabwe is relying on this Kariba Dam, but you know now there is a bit of a desertification. Perhaps that kind of thinking also with the energy is it needs to be regional as well. We talked about Inga, but even the Kariba Dam and all that, there's solar. We have to think innovatively because energy is going to be, and if we want to avoid coal, because China is doing it with coal, let's not forget. They have the advantage of doing it with coal. But, but if we go clean, we have to think about alternative sources of energy and be pragmatic about it. As you know, there's this whole conversation about the right to development for African countries because they don't pollute enough. And so putting gas maybe as an alternative, I'm not subscribing to any of those, but it's just that we have to think it through, even with regards to this energy issue that will crop up, among others. I mean, the challenges for value addition is also environmental issues. I and mean, we, we touched on it a little bit. And also the big capital expenditure, the financing is another issue as well. Why there's no enough value addition on top of, you know, other issues that we have already mentioned. And the markets, even with the AFCFTA, uh, we think that, you know, Africa will be a bigger market, but that's also an issue. If you don't have a market, why would you uh, want to value add on the continent? We have to really address all these issues on top of the energy as well. We'll see. We're watching uh, Zimbabwe very closely as well, as you mentioned, because it's really where there are so many potential there. But it has its own dynamics because of sanctions, because of other other issues. But we are watching that space as well. And uh, hopefully things will settle after elections. The whole SADC region, is, um, we are watching because of the critical middle, so to speak. Thank you, Marit. We're coming to the end of our scheduled time with you. It's been fascinating to hear you speak about the work that you're doing at the AMDC. Exciting to learn about what's in store from the African Green Mineral Strategy and that will be launched later this year. I'm reminded, listening to you, about the importance of ensuring that there's really coordinated changes, coordinated changes in terms of policies, but in terms of ways of operating in value attribution and, and in infrastructure as well. Here we were talking about power and the opportunities to um, look at you know, what is, frankly, a power crisis in Southern Africa at the moment, the need for uh, pragmatic regional solutions to that crisis. And the contribution of an agency like yours that can help national governments to coordinate and plan and ensure that we're working to one another's comparative advantages across nation states to ensure that more value addition, more competitive manufacturing takes place and that we transform our societies from pure exporters of raw materials to competitive manufacturing and, and services powerhouses. Yeah, it's really inspiring to hear that there are progressive leaders such as yourself who are working closely with policymakers to try and achieve this structural transformation and shift that at the end of the day is desperately required if we're to improve lives and, and human development prospects on the continent. We traditionally invite our guests to tell us what they're reading or what they like listening to with a view to just sharing that with our audience. Yeah, what I'm reading right now is a book by Howard French. It's called Born in Blackness. It's a fascinating book. It talks about Africa and the making of the modern world. I alluded a little bit about it, what I talked about. You know, there used to be value addition back in the days. But it's a really a different perspective than what we usually learn in school. And it's, it gives us a history of from a perspective that we have, we are not used to. So that's what I'm reading right now. It's a, it's a very compelling book. I haven't finished it. I read at least 
one chapter a day. Hopefully, I will finish it soon. So that's one I'm reading. And another one I am rereading because of this AI and the artificial intelligence issues is the one by uh, Harari, A Brief History of uh, Sapiens, A Brief History of Mankind, because that thing is fascinating me right now, this whole AI and artificial intelligence issue and where we're going. What I listen to, um, I'm very traditional. I listen to African news a lot because it gives me perspective, but also listen to Al Jazeera and CNN for news. So, but uh, if you have a specific recommendation for podcasts also, I'll be happy to hear. Thank you, Merit. And I know we are at the end of our, our time today and it's it's been such a fascinating conversation and I feel encouraged and I feel positive about what your agency is doing to bring Africa up to speed in this value addition story that is so important to the African continent. And I feel we're going in the right direction. And as I've said before, I know it's a long journey, but at least we're on it. At least we've started. And Africa just has to derive greater economic wealth from its own minerals. So I just I appreciate your time this morning, Merit and, and Marcus, for inviting me to join the, the Voices of Africa podcast. Excited to continue these conversations monthly, as, as you indicated in the beginning. I think we're going to have really stimulating conversations and talk about topics that I know are going to just generate great interest from our mining audience and uh, prepare us for a fantastic mining in Darwin in 2024. So just thank you both. Um, it's been great to, to join and to participate. Well, thank you, Merit. Thank you, Laura. I think that's a wrap from us. Thank you very much. It's been an exciting conversation. I really look forward to more, listening more. I think I will be tuned into your podcast, Voices of from Africa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into a Voices of Africa podcast this week. Voices of Africa is a forum where Africa's leading experts weigh in on cross-sectional topics affecting the continent. Experts share their views on how we can unlock greater value that will benefit industry, government, and communities. For more of our insights, visit our website or subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Views on Africa, in the description.